Yo, what's up everybody? Here I am in San Diego, California. And um, we're gonna talk about my fight with Andre Menard, my fourth fight of my career. Um, so enjoy, man. This is a big fight for me. Right on. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Yamato Damashi podcast. My name is James, and I'm joined again, of course, by Mr. Ensign Inoue. Ensign, how are you doing today? Good, man. Good, 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 good. Well, we've uh, we've done a couple of episodes on a few random topics. We talked, uh, we did the Yakuza Road Rage episode, which was well received. We did the fan Q and A, which was great to hear everyone's questions. Uh, but today we're going to go back back to your career, um, and we we last time we we had the, one of these career podcast episodes. We were talking about your fight with Ed Decret. And um, before we jump into the next fight after that, I was just curious to know what the sort of uh, media attention was after that fight and, you know, whether your fame had started to increase a little bit. Yeah, well, in, uh, when I fought Edo Declef in uh, Japan, it was after the fight, he was, you know, he was, MMA was still really, pretty brand new in Japan. And the fact that he was a European cage fighting champion, it, uh, it kind of sparked a lot of talk. So I remember after that fight, the next, uh, there was a huge uh, fighting magazine called Kaktogitsushi. So I noticed that fighting magazine actually went and had a big write-up on uh, me and actually had, I had a full color page of me mounting Edo de Clef. It was like a whole full color page. Oh no, what was it? Or was it the one that I had my hands raised in the air? That's the one. I had my hands raised in the air. So, Wait. yeah, it was huge. It was like a the cover. I had the cover of the magazine. So that was kind of huge. And that's mm -hmm. at the time when K1 was popular. And, you know, usually you have those type of fighters on the on the cover. But I got the cover shot on the, they called Kaktogitsushi, one of the biggest magazines in uh, Japan fighting. That's very good. Do you remember where you were when you saw it for the first time? I think it was a magazine. I mean, uh, I mean, not a magazine. It was a uh, bookstore that we went to. Uh, All the bookstores carry the magazine. So every time after the fight, we go to the bookstore and check what you know what kind of coverage we had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because by um by the Tokyo Dome, I always remember there's like a really like mm -hmm. what it's just closed, isn't it? But there was like this famous bookstore, and it used to have like the magazines outside the front. Yeah, the Tokyo Dome has uh the magazine shop right there, and it's like uh it it has all the all the current magazines in there, yeah. Yeah, that must have been so cool though, just to sort of walk by it and suddenly see like, this is you on the front cover of a magazine, must have been a bit of a shock. Yeah, that, that place has all the pro wrestling magazines, everything, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that must be a cool feeling. But, um, so in terms of, so in terms of this fight then, so Sayama so matches you up against uh, Andrew Manor, and this is January, 1996. Um, and this mm -hmm. is kind of where K1's, um, you know, coming, Super, super popular. Uh, and for those that don't know, Andre Manop was, you know, he's a well-established kickboxer. He'd had bouts with Ernesto Hoos, Peter Ertz, you know, some of the big names in K1 at that time. He was even in the 1994 uh, World Grand Prix. Um, but what was sort of the, the thinking behind the matchmaking of putting you in there with like an elite level striker? 
I don't know. Um, I guess uh, Sayama um, got a hold of uh, Andre Menard. I got him to um, sign a contract. And I, I think uh, although my striking wasn't up to par, I think Sayama knew that it was MMA. I could take him down and use my ground on him. So back in our day, the, the scene was you either had some – you're either good at striking, you're good at ground, or you're good at wrestling. And nowadays, you know how everyone's good at everything. Back then, it was one or the other. So it was kind of a real um, – a fight with clear strategy. Like Andre's going to want to keep me on the feet. And I'm going to want to take them to the ground. It's going to matter on who can execute their game plan. So, yeah. So, it was, uh, I don't know, for some reason, in MMA, Edo de Clef would have been more established. But for some reason, because um, K1 was more famous and Andre had a bigger name. For me, even going into this fight, I felt like, oh, this is, uh, I'm finally fighting like a, a real fighter. Yeah. So I felt like, oh shit, this is like my, my real test. How did you feel about your striking at that point in your career? Like, where where did you feel that your level was at? On a scale of one to ten, and Andre being at a ten, I think I think I was like a three. And I felt like I didn't have. It's not that I didn't have any striking whatsoever, but I didn't have. I mean, if they asked me to do a kickboxing fight with Andre, I probably wouldn't because I would know that he would outclass me, and it would be almost. To, to no merit to me. So yeah, so I'm, I mean, the fact that it's MMA, it kind of gave me that um, that way to have a strategy to actually win a fight with someone who's a lot better than me in striking and a lot more experienced. Was there anything differently that you did for you know for this camp for training for a, for such an elite level kickboxer? Did was it? I mean, nowadays you hear about guys, you know, will bring in, try and mirror the opponent, whether it's say like a similar size or try and bring in like, like maybe a big guy to sort of match that style. Was that something that, that sort of happened back in the day where they say, oh, let's bring in this kickboxer guy to sort of spar with? No, back in the day, we really didn't do that. Back in the day, it was more um, just uh, concentrating on your strengths that you could use against your opponent's weaknesses. And like, for instance, someone like Andre of my takedown, takedowns and keeping someone on the ground. So we practice a lot of takedowns and we practice a lot of me having someone on the ground and them trying to just stand up. And because keeping someone on the ground, if you don't have the right technique, <clears throat> can be real strenuous, can be real burn your, and can burn your stamina really fast. Yeah, no, I can imagine and you can see We'll, you know, we'll get to the fight in a minute, but you can see how you do exactly that and sort of keep them uh, grounded for such a good amount of time. Um, one of the things that you've mentioned in, in other podcasts um, that we've done is that sometimes, you know, you were sort of flying back and forth to Hawaii to do a lot of your training, um, as well as doing the training in Japan. Um, how, was that something that worked for you, to be honest, just mixing it up, you know, going to doing the different training from in the different locations in the world? Yeah, I felt comfortable in Hawaii. I had the beaches, the, the temperature was better. I had Egan and Egan's guys in the Egan's gym to train with. <clears throat> so for me, it was a better um, training atmosphere. The thing that also helped was at the time, Shuto was uh, really supportive. 
So they would uh, pay for my Hawaii trips. They would fly me in and out of Hawaii, pay for my, they would cover my, my airplane ticket. So that helped out a lot too. Yeah. Oh, wow. That is really good of it to be able to do that. So um, leaning into this fight, um, as you're sort of backstage, uh, again, you're the, the main event of this the Shuto uh, fight. It's in Corican Hall, so uh, quite a, li- a lively crowd there as usual. You know, fans that are sort of used to, uh, would go, you know, you probably have quite a lot of regular fans that would go, right? So that, you know, fans knew you from your other, other Shuto fights and the Valley Shuto fight. Um, what was... Was how did the nerves compare to the other fights going into this one? Uh, it's the same. I I always had nerves. Um, there was it was, I think I was it was I was so green in fighting it that the nerves were the same from the debut fight. It was still just as nerve wracking. Um, I don't think there's a fight that I ever didn't feel any nerves to the end of my career. So yeah, the nerves are there. There was a. Uh, it was a little more pressure for me because I felt that I was actually fighting a, a established fighter, a big name. He was well known in Japan. He was well known in the kickboxing scene. So back then, you know, the bigger scene was the kickboxing scene. So it's like you're famous in K1. You, well, what is this MMA thing? Or like, like back in the day when we, we fought um, MMA, we would tell them that I'm a fighter, and they ask, well, "What do you fight?" I say, "Shuto." The first thing out of their mouth would be, oh, K1? So K1 was the huge thing that MMA wasn't. So yeah. it's funny how it's the opposite now. Yeah, like UFC is huge. Glory is not as big, you know, so yeah. it's kind of like the opposite now. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, when you look back at the sort of uh, MMA landscape in Japan, obviously you had, you know, the Pancrase, uh, Shuto, um, but you didn't have pride so, at that point. Right? It was like a big step up, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As far as, you know, the opponent that I'm fighting, it was a, a legit fighter, you know. Yeah, yeah. You, you could tell it was like a trained athlete. You've been there with some recognizable names as well. So, um, yeah, he was a real recognizable name. Hmm. So, let's talk about the fight then. So, <clears throat> in terms of game plan, you must have been pretty happy with, with how you executed it, right? Because uh, <coughs> you guys obviously start on the feet. Um, but, Straight away, you sort of get backed up against the ropes and, and, and get the takedown. Uh, well, so through it. My whole strategy was uh, um, not just shooting for the tackle because I knew he was probably watching me to tackle. So I wanted to first uh, try and create the feeling that I was going to actually strike with him. So instead of shooting for the tackle right off, I, would, I was uh, closing distance. And pretty much getting into striking range. And all I was doing is I was waiting for that one big punch or that one big kick. Any type of a kick or a punch would be the, like the same type of movement. So I was just waiting for any type of huge movement and I was just going to shoot in. So my whole idea was uh, when we start, just keep closing the distance, closing the closing the distance, closing the distance to a point where he'd get so uncomfortable that he'd throw a punch. And that's when I was going to shoot and it actually worked out perfect. As soon as he started throwing something, I closed the distance, pinned him on the ropes. And once, uh, you know, someone like me that's been training MMA gets a uh, kickboxer in a clinch, they, their, their, their rule set doesn't allow takedowns. So they don't have any takedown defense. So when you see, when, as you see in the fight, the takedown was really simple. 
And for um, the idea you always, we always have is whenever you get somebody that doesn't do any groundwork on the ground, they're going to be like a fish out of water. So they're going to have this little um, burst of energy probably. So when I my whole thing was when I take um, Andre down, which I plan to, when I and when I did, my whole thing was I was going to sit out the the storm. So I thought he was going to go a little more crazy than he did and just start struggling and kicking and bucking. So my whole thing was, if you notice, when I took him down, I just made sure I established position. Yeah. And I just stayed flat, kept him flat. Yeah, you can see throughout the fight, it's like you're just super calm and composed. And it, it's almost like you're just sort of biding your time a little bit um, in terms of like your next move. Um, was that kind of, was your thinking in the fight? Was there, was there a point where you thought, I know when I'm going to go for the submission when he gets to this level of tiredness or yeah i mean doing jiu-jitsu I've, I've done so much so many hundreds of hours of groundwork once i got him to the ground it was all a, a thing on instinct so of course in in jiu-jitsu when you do the ground the whole idea is to advance position so from one position get to a better get to a better to a point where the best position you're in is probably the best position to finish a fight so when I took him down, I got lucky because he didn't know any, you know, guard retention or anything. So he, when I took him to, down to the ground right away, boom, side control. And from there, the next position you advance to is the mount. So I just made sure I controlled side control. And as I'm controlling side control, I could feel his energy. I could feel when he tried to bridge. I could feel when he wouldn't be able to lift his legs up to defend the mount. So when, once I felt that his, his energy was keeping his legs flat on the mat. I executed the mount and secured the mount. From there, securing the mount, again, instead of striking or advancing positions, I made sure I established the mount, waiting for him to buck, to, to start, you know, twisting and turning. And I was going to wait till that storm weathered. And then when I did, of course, he was holding on to me. So the next step was to create distance so I could drop some strikes instead of laying down on him and, and hitting him with um, kind of half-ass punches like I did with Shigeta, uh, my first fight. I'm, you know, I, as you can see in that fight from the first fight, it's a whole different way yeah? because when I first got the mount in the first fight, I started just wailing wild punches and racquetball punches and whatever. But this time what I did was I made sure I established position and I made sure I sat up right and I made sure I could drop more solid punches. So, yeah. you know, that fight was, um, it was one of those things that uh, Andre never fought on the ground. So when I got him on the ground, he, he was just really like a fish out of water where I had my way with him. And I got the mount. And when I got the mount, I, you know, I, I felt I had a lot of time. The round was still new. So I was picking my punches and throwing my punches. And I feel there was a, Again, a mistake on the referee, the way they stopped it too fast, because I really didn't get to hit him that solid. And before I hit him maybe with one or two, and then I missed another one, and then the the referee just had, I think it was just bad timing that he jumped in to stop it. And again, you know, it's like Andre, of course, Andre's kind of bummed because he didn't really get that damage. It was still going on. It was just about to start. Yeah. And... For me, I was bummed too because I, you know, I spent all that time getting him down. I spent all that time securing position, 
I got right into the position on the mount where I could start hurting him, and the ref stops the fight. So, yeah, I think the ref did a bad job on timing and stopping the fight. He should have let it go more. The fans would have loved it. It would have been more convincing for Andre to know that he got defeated, and it would have been more satisfactory to me to be able to give him a lot more damage. Yeah, no, the ref definitely did seem overly keen uh, to sort of jump in. Probably he's a, a new sort of kickboxer on the ground. Uh, it wasn't going to end too well, and it, you know you can tell that it's it's uh, complete dominance at that point on the ground. Um, is it, is it, and it, and it's, it's interesting to hear you say obviously about looking back at your first fight and then looking back at this fight and then seeing the difference in just technique just even from the way you sort of throw the punches so it's it's cool to, if anyone has seen both the fights how, how much you can see like your training and improvement uh paid off so i mean after the fight you must have felt pretty good about the performance right yeah i think um as soon as the fight was over i was i was more like it just didn't feel satisfying. I just felt like they just stopped it too soon. I I felt incomplete. Like, damn, I didn't get to finish the fight. Um, looking back at hindsight, looking back at the video, um, I was really happy with the way I looked way more professional, looked way more controlled. Uh, punches looked a lot better on the ground. And it, it, it did seem like I knew what I was doing. I, I was ex more experienced. So all in all, I, I felt really good about the improvement. Um, Immediately after the fight, I felt a little bit of emptiness. Like I didn't get that satisfaction of actually finishing the fight. So, yeah, um, it was a it was a really good win because it was Andre Menard. And the interesting thing about that fight was what happened after that fight is, you know, up until that fight, it was all about one more fight, one more fight, one more fight. And when I beat Andre, you know the the feedback i got from it the fact that he was an established k1 fighter and you know people didn't really understand the fact that yeah k1 doesn't have ground so of course he's not going to be that good in the ground it was like you beat andre menard and you know it kind of got to me too like holy shit, i just beat andre menard so for me um regardless of his ground was good or bad or not you know he he was a very established fighter so for me it it little, put a little light bulb in my head and i just kind of like wow, um, more than just experience, maybe I'm actually pretty good at this and maybe I should further, you know, my, my development and see how good I can actually get and, you know, see see how, how, how I'll fare with the best fighters in the world. And I had that little um, fire in me to challenge myself with the best fighters in the world. Yeah, it's oh, interesting that it was, you know, it took you to get... 4-0 before you actually said, I'm going to make this like my profession now. Because before you'd always been sort of, I, you know, I, I want to challenge myself. I want to you know, test my skills. Um, but, you know, it, it's interesting that it was Andre, you know, you had so much respect for him as like an athlete to give you that. You know, so it's interesting because up until then, I felt like, oh, I, I felt obligated to fight one more for Sayama. Mm -hmm. Oh, they put me on the cover. I mean, I, they, they gave me a big write-up. I gotta fight one more for the fans. Mm -hmm. But the interesting thing is this is that this whole after this fight, it whole changed the whole momentum from I gotta fight for somebody else to I'm gonna start fighting for myself now. I wanna see test myself. I wanna see how good I can fare with the best fighters in the world. Of course, I wasn't a 
I wasn't someone who was, you know, taking fighting for granted. I didn't go straight up from the beginning with no amateur fights and say, yeah, I want to see how good I am in the world. You know, of course, it was just about getting experience in the ring, um, fighting the anxiety. So I was actually looking at amateur rings, amateur, you know, events. So I think it was a real legit um, change in thought process that was a very educated change. It wasn't like, oh, I think I'm tough now. I want to fight the best in the world. I mean, it took four fights for me to, you know, see what I can do, see my progress, um, see what type of fighters I'm fighting. And with all the fighters that I beat, I, I, you know, I think it was a very legitimate decision to actually decide that, man, let me push this further to take it a step further and see if I can mingle with the best in the world. So it was a nice... It was a really nice thing, you know. It was wasn't something that I planned. It was it just mm -hmm. like a puzzle, piece of puzzles just starting to fit together. It was my whole life is like that. I'm a very lucky person. Mm -hmm. A couple of random observations just from watching back the fight on YouTube. Uh, the first thing that sort of made, made me chuckle a little bit is uh, Egan, obviously in your corner, wearing this bright purple jacket. It feels like super nineties what he's wearing. <laughs> Was there any significance to that? Was that something that, like, was that like a, a, a I don't know. Was, that, was, that was in back in the day, man, those oh. racquetball jerseys, man. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah, you know, just... It's funny because back in that day, you know, I think it was 1996, that, I mean, you're it's far back enough that you're really looking at a whole different change in dressing and yeah, yeah. hairstyles like that. So, yeah, it was like. That's how long ago that was. That was actually pretty cool. Yeah. The, the, the top that Ego was wearing was cool. Yeah, it, no, it looked cool to me. I was like, wow, you could tell, like, but it just made me think, like, like this this is 90s. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I bet he's not wearing it now. <laughs> no, 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 no more of that. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is, um, I, obviously, you do your post fight interview and then. Typically with like these sorts of events when they're filmed for like DVDs and that sort of stuff, they show like clips of backstage. There's a clip of uh, you and I'm guessing it's Sayama because he's wearing like a, his tiger mask. Uh, no, that wasn't Sayama. That was actually um, this guy. Um, he was planning to be the fourth tiger mask. Oh, okay. So the reason why he was back there was he's like was one of one of my main sparring partners. Oh, no way. Okay, that's interesting. He was he was more a bodybuilder, and as you know, pro wrestlers don't really need to know how to fight that well. Yeah. So he was just a bodybuilder dude that was, uh, you know, pretty agile. Where he could do a lot of flips and, you know, backdrops and stuff for pro wrestling. But he was just a body that was uh, put in there to take a beating, and I beat him up every day, man. Beat him up real bad. He was, he was a lot smaller than me, too. Yeah. He'd had a lot of muscle compared to a Japanese person, but a lot smaller. And... He took a beating, so you know, yeah. tough guy. But no, that makes sense. Yeah. I was thinking, why? You know, why is the promoter of the event sort of just hanging out in his mask? Like, uh, I guess you know that is a thing for uh, some professional wrestlers. But uh, it just, you know, I thought I just double check whether that actually was Sayama in the mask. Well, he's a um, he was called he's a fourth tiger mask, cool. and nobody That's knew what he looked like, so he couldn't not he could he had to show he couldn't show his face. So the, the, those pro wrestlers, they take it serious, man. When they, when they have identity to hide, they, they do it 
all the way through. Like he's even told me that he's actually picked up some fans that when they got to bed, they wanted him to keep his mask on. <laughs> that's some freaky shit, man. Yeah, yeah, that's nuts. That's mental. Um, but yeah, no, that uh, I think uh, as far as your uh, performances at that point. It's definitely like your most sort of flawless performance. Uh, you know, the other fights you could tell were like uh, a bit more of a challenge. Whereas, um, you know, with Andre, I think it was just, as you say, you, you trained that skill set. You knew exactly what your game plan was uh, and you executed it. So, yeah, uh, there was absolutely no damage. I had took no damage in that fight. What, what was the uh, reaction backstage thinking of for like your next fight? Was was everyone as buzzing as they were for like some of the other fights? Yeah, I think it was just a continuation of everything. Like, oh no, and I think a lot of people expected me to win, mm -hmm. and the buzz was continued. Like, oh, he won again. Okay, who's next? Who's next? You know. So it was a uh, it was a real exciting time because for me, I it got me really excited. That okay, man. Yeah, let's see what I can do. Who's next? You know. So it was a it was a real change in uh, my mindset on me getting in the ring. So it was. Uh, I think it was actually the beginning of uh, my career that I have today. Be until then, it was pretty much just one fight at a time. Yeah, it's cool that you can sort of pinpoint the moment of when you felt like this is where I'm going. Yeah, this yeah, is my moment. Great. Okay. Well, uh, we're going to wrap up this episode. Um, we want to thank you as always for, for doing this. And I think the fans will be super grateful again to hear, you know, what was going through your head during this fight. Uh, any, any parting words before we uh, sort of wrap this up? No, nothing. Um, we're, um, I'm in San Diego now. Uh, we're uh, UK and San Diego. We're trying to make it, it work a lot for you guys. So, um, it's amazing, yeah, technology, because we're, we're across the world right now, and we don't know who else is watching it, people from another part of the world. So yeah. appreciate everyone tuning in. Um, of course, again, any uh, advice, any ideas, push in a comment, like, and subscribe, and tell your friends all about it. We want to spread the word on the Yamato Balamashi podcast. Thanks, James. Great. Thanks, Ensign, and I will see you guys again soon.